It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. I was just busy connecting my mic, so I don't know if this is even, does it sound okay? Consequence Podcast Network. Want to get smarter about investing? Then tune in to the Capital Ideas Podcast from Capital Group home of American Funds Distributors, Inc., one of the world's leading asset managers. Each week, we bring you stock market outlooks, macroeconomic updates, and investment strategies that can help you succeed. Learn from portfolio managers with decades of experience about how they navigate uncertain markets. Prepare to be engaged, enlightened, and entertained by listening to the Capital Ideas Podcast today. And welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with It's the Interview Series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org. Consequence and the Consequence Podcast Network. Thank you, as always, for making your way here and checking out the episode and the series. Uh, of course, as, uh, as always, I do hope you'll hit that subscribe button. But uh, three new interviews every single week, a new one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover the new ones at Spotify, Apple Podcast, at NPR, WFPK.org, YouTube for the video versions, or anywhere you get your podcast from, you can subscribe to Kyle Meredith with. Uh, recent episodes we've had on here, recent guests, I should say, have included Sam Kiska of Greta Van Fleet, Ian Hunter of Montehoople, Lucinda Williams, uh, Nick Hexum from 311. We had uh, both Jeff Ament and Stone Gossard of Pearl Jam on here, Louise Post of Veruca Salt, the cast of Outlander, SD Hyam, uh, Josh Hami of Queens of the Stone Age. We talked Extraction 2 on Netflix with Goshifte Farahani and Dragon, a Bruce Lee story with actor Jason Scott Lee. That's just some of the uh, the recent episodes you can find on the Kyle Meredith with podcast. And that's me, Kyle Meredith. Today, my guest, Lior Phillips. Uh, we, we have a lot of history. Lior is a friend of mine. She was, and I guess is, the... Um, uh, the host of This Must Be the Gig podcast, also heard on the Consequence Podcast Network. But uh, for the past few years, she's been writing a book for the 33 and a Third series. This one's called South African Popular Music. Now, Leora's going to take us through uh, why she wanted to write about the history and landscape of South African music, which she's from. She's from South Africa. How the region's music has generally been driven by the uh, the political landscape that's going on at that time and that era. Uh, we'll talk about America's influence, American music's influence on the genre, and the uh, and the sad history behind songs like "The Lion Sleeps Tonight." Now, Leora is also going to tell us why she cringes at the term world music. Uh, we'll talk about the complicated era of Paul Simon's Graceland in the 80s, uh, but also the reciprocation between artists like Angelique Kijot and the Talking Heads and how Disney is uh, trying to make up for its past with the recent releases of Black Panther and the live-action Lion King. All that and more as we talk about the new 33 and a third book, South African Popular Music. It's Kyle Meredith with Lior Phillips. Hi, it's such a treat to talk to you. It's such a it's such a cool thing to be on this side of things because our little background. Um, you were also parts of the Consequence Podcast Network for a long time with your with your own series. This must be the place. Yes, this must be the gig. Gig. I'm on, sorry. On... Right. This must be the gig. Yeah. 
but Beisdorf, this must be the place. So a good shout out in 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 retrospect. <laughs> yes, I was. And you and I have such similar loves and interests and passion for certain types of music and artists. And that was just such a joy. It's it's always wonderful to have a comrade in the field. And I feel like yours, your camaraderie at the time that podcasts weren't so huge like they are now was wonderful yeah and then everybody literally everybody got a podcast at that after that point so it's but you're still fans I mean you you had such great episodes and and those still live out there and beyond what we're about to talk about today uh I encourage everyone to go check out that if they uh, if they hadn't checked out this must be the gig because it really is a solid series Oh, thank you. It's so wonderful. They were just kind of 45 minutes to an hour conversations. Um, One would say going long on really complex and incredibly extraordinary storytelling from artists that you love around the world. Well, so the artist we love around the world sort of comes back to what you're doing now, right? Because as I mentioned, 33 and a third, this incredible series, it's been around for a, a while now. Uh, you have authored a new one, and it's called South African Popular Music. And we should do the background on you because you come from South Africa. <laughs> I do. I do. I come all the way from Cape Town, uh, born and bred in Cape Town. And I moved to Chicago a few years ago. So thankfully, I haven't. Well, I don't know. Sometimes it's charming, the Chicago accent. But I'm I'm glad to know that in my 30s, I've kind of retained the South African twang. So yeah, I'm, I'm born and bred and I miss it. I'm terribly homesick. And, and obviously writing a book about the vignettes across the t- across musical history of South Africa made me even more homesick. So you can imagine just sitting there listening to all the music and trying to recount all of the stories from my childhood. Well, that's it's interesting because, as you said, you are telling the history. When we talk about the history, I mean, it's it's pretty vast, but you have done it in a way where there is a through line through this entire book. What was the story you wanted to tell? How did you want to tell it? I, I've always wondered why there is this ideology surrounding Africa as this singular monolith, this gigantic beast of a place that has no delineation where uh, where it's completely the opposite, right? You, you know that not only the music and the arts that come from Africa, it's each different country has its own individualism. And I really wanted to fo- focus on the individual because that's kind of how I grew up listening. I wanted to focus on South Africa as this beautiful, rich, culturally... Um, progressive now country that of course the strictures of apartheid and proto-apartheid before it crushed and I wanted to make sure that when you're thinking of South Africa and you're thinking of its music you are you are educated and you start getting so passionate about this beautiful these beautiful melodies and lyricism that you will never hear anywhere else in the world unless it's influenced and inspired off And that happens a lot. And you can hear that in a lot of Western music. So I really wanted to try and let people in on this beautiful country's music, but also really shine a light on these artists who, uh, you know, overcame really dark times. So I, I wanted a little bit of a balance. And that 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 is actually what I took from it, because to tell the story of African music is to tell the 
political story of Africa, uh, South Africa, uh, within a lot of this. I mean, to read artist after artist, how much of it is about overcoming a certain oppression that was happening at that time. I mean, you know, I imagine there was also just kids playing in a garage like anywhere else in the world. But in this bigger picture, does that feel like that is the most important part is not exactly what I'm trying to say, but but sort of that that's always sitting in the background one way or the other, I guess it feels like. I mean, it's it's South Africa in relation to political music, past and present and current and future and all of the above. It, it is those strictures sometimes meant that even if it wasn't overtly political, even if moments weren't that person playing ball out in, you know, in the, by their garage in their driveway, conveying music of a non-white culture became that protest in and of itself and isn't that just glorious it's 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 exactly what it's meant it's meant to move you some people listen to a song and they are involuntary flailing their arms and crying and or just sitting there in uh, shock and that music and art is meant to move you and so as time passed that movement towards music that more directly addressed politics acted like the fuel to that if I can say protest fire you know like I, I like think of Soweto Soweto blues and I think at the time it, it's it's impossible to to talk about the one and the other. And I know you've spoken before to some of your guests about can you separate the art from the artist? And I think that, you know, in this regard, some critics, especially when you talk about Chapter 11, which I, I kind of lean heavily on, Kwaito and Gom and I'm a Piano, uh, critics argue that those kind of strains of music now are political as well even though it seems more of like crafting an escapist reality it's definitely it's the it's the new uh, world that apartheid no longer has its hold on and we'll be right back right after this shout out to uh, astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples uh, I, I live in kentucky in the midwest and allergies yeah, I suffer. When I say I suffer from allergies, I suffer from allergies. And around here, everyone I know deals with allergies to some degree. And for a long time, I thought it was just something that I would have to live with, which is a real problem um, for anything, but especially when you're a radio host. It affects my voice. It affects my mood. It affects everything. And I feel like I've tried every, I've tried all the medicines. Some of them work better than others, but there's there's never a perfect one out there, especially because some of them take forever to actually work and some of them don't work at all. And then there's Astapro, the fastest solution to nasal allergy symptoms. It's what I use now and it's definitely changed my life. Astapro is the first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24 hour over the counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Uh, Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. With all the pollen in the air, with all the dust around the the corners of the house, uh, even with uh, the allergies I have from my dog, Astapro has been the nasal spray 
that has helped me with all of my allergies. And it can help you too. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. That's A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back. It's Kyle Meredith with Lior Phillips. I, I was even recently talking to an artist, uh, Vic Tony, who's, who's sort of, you know, he he had his blow up moment in the past year or so. And, and that's it, because he's of a younger generation and grew up in a very different culture, you know, than, than the few generations before him. But still hearing even from him, like these sound like pop songs you know, on one hand, and then you get into the story and it's always there. It's always somehow, you know, in the, in the roots of what he's talking about. That's still impressive. And, and I think that there's a, there's a, a a lack of, of course, we don't want to focus on the dark times, but political activism isn't dark. It's not, it isn't something that should weigh heavily. And when people infuse that into their music, whether you know it or not, because there's so many artists in our lives that, you know, look at Brenda Fussy, an amazing pop star from South Africa who passed away tragically at 39, I think it was. And, you know, she could have been like an Amy Winehouse of her time. Even if it isn't there, in hindsight, in retrospect, without words, it's it's still going to simmer to the surface because Black people and people of color in South Africa weren't given the same chance. And in in spite of that, look at the music that they were able to make and the democrat the democratization of music making now is so fascinating and you look at amir piano stars you look at quito stars and they're sharing tools with one another uh, you don't you don't need oppression in the arts and culture it doesn't need to bring them down anymore and it's just so it was such a joy to 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 get to that level within writing the book almost like a little bit of a fourth wall um, because you, you know, you're, you're a listener and then you put this work into a hobby and then it becomes a profession. And it was such a beautiful realization for me personally as well, to just come to a reckoning with myself of this music is in my blood. Um, and that's kind of why I wanted to write about it to begin with, because I didn't, it's intuitive. I didn't need to. I didn't need to start off learning at a university <laughs> about uh you know African music. I could I could just draw from my from my childhood, but gosh, the things that I learned along the way <laughs> endless. Yeah, right. And and there are things that we thought we knew, like the song that we of course you start early on this with the song that we come to know as the Lion Sleeps Tonight. 
like I always sort of knew that there was much more history there than I was aware of. But but getting Solomon Linda and and the loss of what am I looking at? 15, at least 15 million dollars in royalties through their life and career because that song was just yanked and and compromised and turned into something else without you know the due credit ever going there and that's just the beginning that's just story. the beginning and i start i start there i i i purposefully start there because it was as shocking to me in no i even knew the story but then researching it more and talking to more journalists and people who are around at that time and artists and musicians it was impossible not to start like that i, I it was my it was my chapter one um you know, kind of like, here I am, let's talk about this. But it was also a frightening way to start because, again, you're telling the story that not a lot of people know, um, they, they, not a lot of people know the details of. And I always, in terms of reading, I love getting to a book. It's, it's so nice being celebrated as a reader. And that's why I wanted to start there because I feel like that's celebrating another artist in a moment in time when they were not given the dues that they deserved. And that's, it's just impossible to think of now, but it's, it's happening as we speak to many other artists. And I mean, that song's just incredible. It's just, I mean, that's one of the <laughs> Yeah, right. The old timers, right? Yeah, that's one of the greatest of all time. And it's it's interesting just to hear even how, you know, certain styles come up. You know, it we just an example, like we know rock music and and sort of how that is birthed around here. And thinking about how British kids in the 50s and 60s, you know, with the music coming over on boats and everything, and how that ended up, you know, furthering rock and roll in that way for South African music and Western music, because in, in one sense, I guess is what I'm getting to here is there seems something very insular at which, you know, right. Is, is, is a great power that it had. Was it being influenced by Western music back then in the same way that the Brits were? Do you, did you yeah. find that? I love this thought process that you have right now, because I feel like that's the same question I had to ask myself in writing it. I don't know if I have a definitive answer. I think that, you know, like when I have stories of my dad bringing, getting smuggled over from his friends visiting London, he, him getting, you know, tapes of, of Rodriguez, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if anyone's familiar listening of searching for Sugar Man, who I have the, you know, the, the writer and, and the man who, Sugar Siegerman, who, who went after to, to find him. I have him in my book. Um, and you look at all of the ways in which people found music and it just makes you, it, it, it made me question that I think it's a two-parter. There is obviously, we have to talk about cultural boycotting and there were so many structures in place to forbid people to listen to music from outside for no reason other than it was maybe a little bit provocative. It was a little unusual. It was foreign. Um, and also South Africa is typically quite a religious country. So I think looking at somebody like a Miriam Makeba who had to flee and seek asylum because she was, you know, a political activist, um, she started hiding 
in her, you know, her, her influences. And so she was able to take that penny whistle, the tin whistle, and almost mimic it with her voice. You know, her voice became the penny whistle. So even if anyone might have thought that she was being so influenced, she still brought it around and <laughs> made it so African. Um, and then as the years went on, you know, more movies were shown, soundtracks came out, you know, the 90s, like oh, 90s, sound, 80s and 90s soundtracks. Of, oh, I was obsessed of, with of, it for a while. Just the idea. Obsessed. Yeah, right. About the- <laughs> it, it was just the And it's what you're talking about at the beginning here. It's it's that it's that why we're, you know, for, for our size thing, you know, I'm, I'm in the middle of Kentucky, you know, <laughs> it was a magical land and it was so far away. And it still is magical and it still is far away, but the connection to our spirit, you know, a spirit of of a listener, and, and this sounds cliche as heck, but a spirit of a listener is connected beyond the boundaries. And that's why I absolutely cringe, like my entire body just cringes up like a pretzel when I hear the term world music because that romanticizes the vastness of our world which it is geographically but we are so connected much more than (laughs) much more than anyone cares to know and that segregation was uh, racist and political and if you are a listener wanting to get into music out side of that western scope it, it's daunting right it's it's in a different language um these people grow up in different environments you, it's hard to find that connection but once that music is put on and played that's the golden that's the golden carpet right you then you you're you're off and i think that that hesitation by labeling um which uh, you know it it was necessary at the time. I still understand why those genre labels were given, but uh, we can pass them now. We can we can find whatever we want to find. We can put, uh, you know, prioritize our playlists and and uh, in any way we want, at any age we want. And I think people did that in South Africa. It, it, you know, coming up in in the seventies and eighties, they they were starting to hear it on the radio. They were starting to hear it in taxi cabs, and that started, you know, this revolution of them thinking, "Hang on, we don't need to look at Western music. We can just look around, and we've got the talent. We've got the the right stories." And is it unusual sometimes for a non uh, you know, if somebody's ear isn't tuned to it, sure. But so is uh, techno. So, right. <laughs> so, so is crowd rock. You know, like right, think about right. all these. You know, and and uh, and it isn't about training one's ear. It's about just giving it a chance because it it really is so enriching. And and I still like to romanticize it. Like I don't think it's a bad thing. It, these artists are incredible. <laughs> like so much was taken one way. But this time it felt like we in um, in the Western, in America, we took more than we gave. You know, I, I, did, I grew up in the 80s and that's talked about in here because this is the time of Graceland. This is the time of Peter Gabriel and Bono and eventually Sun City, you know, and uh, <laughs> and, and what little Stephen was doing over there. And on one side, I get it. 
because you find this sound that you've never heard before. And if you're an artist, you're always seeking for what excites you. And, and, and once you're excited about it, you're like, I, I have to try this myself. And the words cultural appropriation come out later. And you have to sort of look back on it and go, did I? And I say this as, you know, not for myself, I've never made the music, but for the people who did, you know, that had to be a question. And that's a tricky question, right? Because one hand, you're an artist being excited about something new, but you get to go into those details in this book about then what did that mean to the culture? What did Graceland mean to the people that were there and the boycotts that were happening? Like that seems to me that was a really important, it had to be an important part of the story. It was in a way I was like, do I leave this in? Do I take it out? It, because a part of it, a part of me wants to say to you like, yes, it absolutely is pivotal. And then a part of me is like, without it, we carried on. So that I think was the most fascinating thing about writing that chapter. I wrote it also all willy nilly. I kind of started that chapter and then went back because I was getting so opinionated and so like ragey about it. And then I slowed down and I did more research. I spoke to more people and it shifted my perspective. I love Paul Simon. I, I I love everything that he did, but I do believe in cultural boycotting and I don't believe in cultural appropriation and who sets the limitations for that artist. You know, it, are, are they right in doing this because they are curious? Sure. We, we, we applaud curiosity, but are, are the, the limitations and the dimensions for him bringing aboard those South African artists and going there at a time when he shouldn't have. It, it, it's so iffy. It's, it, it's, it's a line drawn by the person doing the action. And that always makes you question where was everybody else in that sense? But if you talk to any musician now who was a part of that session, they are only too proud and joyful and appreciative for that time. They were paid well. They couldn't imagine their lives without that experience of Graceland. So then you get stuck right back in, oh, am I meant to look at this? In a, you know, so it's hard to look at anything with a lens that feels clear nowadays. But I know that when you when you look at the artists needing the rights that they deserve and getting the financial uh, respect, uh, I, I think that anything will work if you can start at that point. And I do believe that a part of him was really naive, but uh, it would not fly in this in this in this world that we live in. Thank God it wouldn't fly. Um, we have much more consequences that we can look at historically now. And I, I'm not sad it happened, but I definitely feel like, why then? You know, <laughs> why then? Why did it happen then? And we'll be right back right after this. Welcome back. It's Kyle Meredith with Lior Phillips. There, there is a fun turnaround that eventually, you know, as we talk about, because another one of those artists that you get to touch on is are the Talking Heads and David Byrne. Yeah, the talking heads happen, and then you can tell that they are definitely themselves influenced by African music. And then eventually, Angelique Kijou covers oh, the talking heads. Oh, right, we love her. Oh my gosh, yeah. So they're 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 ended up being this 
what's the word reciprocation you know mm -hmm. circuital thing that eventually happens like i feel like i feel like there's at least artistically speaking and i am probably dodging the political parts of this on this specific question but 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 eventually artistically speaking there's a bit of a happy ending absolutely i mean i love that you mentioned angelique because what a force if anyone listening has not heard it which i think is impossible at this point it's any album in any sequence is is your gateway she you know when i chatted to her for my show I spoke to her about this and that was such a great way into also me writing my proposal for the book because she has so, she has such a beautiful way of seeing something that could actually terrify an artist. You know, she, she, she loves Miriam Makeba. She loved the talking heads. She was like, I'm going to flip this around and do it in my way without anyone saying it. No one can say a thing. And she has every right to. And I think that that she showcases as an African artist um, and actually more so an inter international artist, really. She showcases that you really can be equally inspired, even though I can imagine listening to Western music <laughs> versus the music from your uncle um, you know, playing in, in the living room is not as maybe enriching for you, but... Listen, it, it's all it's all part of a story that enmeshes within and of itself. It's the most beautiful thing to be able to trace this line now that people have been inspired, then influenced, then turn around, inspire and influence. It's such a it's such a beautiful way to see the industry going. And it is it, it, South Africa does live in isolation sometimes because it's such a small industry. And geographically, it is so far for artists from America and the UK to travel there without making it this big thing. Um, and I think a person like Angelique just knew exactly what she was doing with that, you know? She's just really, and you know, David also, just a wonderful, the most zen soul <laughs> Somebody asked me at a book talk the other day, what, who would you want to read this book of yours? And I think the perfect person, I was like, I imagine David on his bicycle riding around the city and grabbing a, grabbing a copy. But, you know, and he was so game to talk to me about this book. He doesn't shy away from any political conversation because he knows what he did with that music. He knows how far he took that inspiration. Yeah. And I love that. And now we get to see things like, you know, it seems like they are trying. I, I, what I'm doing is I'm backing up to, you know, the, the atrocities from the very beginning when we're talking about Solomon Linda and the Lion's Leaps and all of that. But now we have the new versions of the Lion King soundtrack and we have the Black Panther soundtrack. And these could have been much like not knocking Elton John's great music in the 90s, but... <laughs> But they're saying we Disney. can't do that with these soundtracks anymore. And that mm -hmm. seems like the biggest positive step to me in, in, in the story that I think you're telling. Yeah, I love that observation. I think it's beautiful how your mind is thinking now. And especially that's exactly how I wanted people to think when they were reading the book. I think it's it, everything happening now is the consequence of people taking action and speaking up that artists have to be 
remunerated artists have to be respected and i i don't think that that is it's it, we are not in in all roses this bed of roses right now i still think there are so many issues happening right now but at least representation is being much more thoughtful you know i did a piece many many years ago where I got to talk to like an Alan Menken, you know, about all of these, uh, these compositions for these Disney movies. And, uh, uh, you know, and I have him even in the piece talking about how you need to be thoughtful now. If somebody is writing about a character they know nothing about, bring in the people who know that story. There's nothing better than somebody who has lived that story, whether or not it's you know, in the micro level or uh, being inspired for the, their whole lives, there's there's nothing better than having that person tell that story. And I think with the Black Panther and and just like for my experience, seeing you know Rosa like on the screen and like hearing it, I mean, I don't know if that would have happened a lot many years ago. I don't know if that language would have been researched well enough, respected. Now we need to be much more thoughtful in, right, we are all human. No thought is original. <laughs> is it? I don't know. You tell me. It's not. Um, it's not, right? <laughs> and, uh, but in in having, say, having said that, I, I do think that there's a way that we can um, really give props to our past and give space for the people that deserve it. They, they, we, oh, there's space for everybody. And I think looking at like a Wakanda and the music, and I watched the new one the other day, and it's just, it's mind-blowing how African it feels in the best way possible. And you know that they got the best people on that. And, you know, and more, a more common kind of contemporary ideology is also like in a Drake using like an Uncle Waffles, you know, and, and and kind of being in love with this DJ. And then and then you have a black coffee who gets to, you know, kind of like a, 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 an Angelique Kidjo, black coffee got to then pr produce and work on Drake's album. So it, it's, it's, it's a transparent meeting of the minds in the best way that feels very, very inspiring. Well, and, and I can say the same thing about your book uh, with, with this 33 and a third series, um, because I learned so much from this. So thanks Thank for, you. you know, just writing the damn thing. And... <laughs> oh, God, I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks oh, for taking the time to talk about it. Such a pleasure. You are amazing. And this is such a treat that you are such a fan. And so am I. And just to be able to get this book out there in the world if, if anyone is wondering where to get into this music, if you don't feel like reading and or if you feel like listening, I've made a playlist on, on Spotify. You can listen to this playlist. Kyle can can post about it as well. And that's your gateway. Get in and then stay there. Swim, sleep, lie down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely include the link in the, in the playlist. Uh, Leora, thank you so much. It's been thank so great you. having you here. I know. Thank you so much.
And my thanks, Lior Phillips. The uh, the new 33 and a third book is called South African Popular Music. Thanks to you for checking out the episode. Uh, please, please do hit that subscribe button while you're hanging around. Again, you do that, I'm going to give you three brand new interviews every single week. A new one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at all the usual uh, podcast spots, including, uh, let's see, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can grab it at NPR, at WFPK.org, YouTube for the video versions, or anywhere you get your podcast from. Subscribe to Kyle Meredith with. Then after that, head over to WFPK.org. That's right, do a show Monday through Friday. Starts at 6 p.m. Eastern. We do lots of uh, classic tracks, uh, lots of new music. You'll get, uh, let's see, music news and anniversary spins, bonus interviews as well. A recent show of mine had the music. I, I played uh, classic tracks from uh, The Replacements and The Soft Boys, Garbage, Morrissey, Kate Bush, Morphine, Beck, LCD Sound System, Radiohead, The Smashing Pumpkins, Veruca Salt, L7, Low, Fiona Apple, Folk Implosion, and I had my interview with uh, Margot Timmons of Cowboy Junkies. It's just uh, a little example of what you can hear every weekday at 6 p.m. at wfpk.org. Consequence has your music and film news. You can also catch me on the social media spots. Uh, that's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all three of them. My address is at Kyle Meredith. That does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith, and I'll see you next time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Consequence Podcast Network. In what universe did that actually happen? Because it didn't like happen in mine. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media.